1: To the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. There are a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to <laughs> get into the game. With your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. See,
0: the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? No, You're a geek. Uh, uh, I'm like geek. Only
1: on the v Podcast Network. All right, cool. Uh, happy... To welcome in this edition to Harvard Handicappers, Tom Byrne, all over Sirius XM, Mad Dog Sports Radio, a fantastic NBA handicapper as well. Few, A few Harvard uh, NBA handicappers and good ones at that to find. So, Tom, one of the very few. Before we get to NBA stuff, though, I got to get your thoughts on something. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm something of a social media maven. I'm, I'm pretty popular. And um, had a tweet yesterday that I feel like started it would start a good conversation. So, my kid is three, uh, my first kid. Uh, my, my other son had just turned whew, what now five months or something like that. Um, so now we're entering into new territory with the older son. He started preschool about a couple of months ago. You know, hanging out with other kids. He got his first invite to a birthday party today, and or yesterday now actually. Um, yeah. Where do you stand on this? Because I got to tell you, out of all of the things that I did not look forward to as a parent, it was interacting with other parents and their children at events like this.
0: Yeah, you're not wrong. Unfortunately, you do got to get used to it. And you're going to be throwing the party soon. So find that local bowling alley or whatever you have to do. Hopefully there's some TV set up. My gosh, Uh, it's not easy. You know, you can lean on the wife a little bit, though. Like my son had a party at a roller rink. She said, you want to go, right? I said, "Oh, you know, it won't kill me to stay. So she just took the son, and I watched the other kids. So you got two now. Yeah. So why don't you stay home with the five-month-old? You know, hun, go ahead and take. I'll sacrifice. I'll stay here with the five-month-old. Though, I don't know. The five-month, you know, pooping and needing to be fed and naps and everything else, that might be harder. So it depends.
1: Well, she's, you know, I don't have the biggest house, so she might be able to hear me now. Uh, My my weapon was going to be, oh, babe, like the NBA games. You know, I got to watch these. I'm sorry. I can't really go, you know?
0: Yeah. (laughs) That doesn't fly that well, though. Once At least I have four now, though. There's one or two that worked, three, four. Like, that's out the door now. Right. So I'm walking around. I'm constantly on my phone checking scores. And then she's mad at you for checking scores. I'm telling you. We made our we made our bet a long time ago with the kids.
1: Yeah. So well, we'll see. It's uh it, the I think the fortunate part is it's at a it's at a spot where we usually go to. It's like this play place up the street, so it's a pretty cool oh. spot. But the yeah. other thing of this, and this was this is the guilt that was eating at me because my wife and I were talking about this, which was, you know, like for us, if we were to like throw a party, like we've had a party for him before, obviously in the past but our families are so big and we have our own friends that like, we have enough within our inner circle yeah. that we would not think to drop invitations off at his preschool. And I don't, I don't want to like, what if this girl this little girl has a traumatic experience and nobody shows up to her birthday party. Like, right. I don't want to be one of the ones that contribute to that. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, hundred percent. Nothing gets me more upset that when you invite people and then they don't show where you find out that your son was at a party. He was like one of the only couple people there. Yeah. Oh God. You want to walk up and just slap somebody's parents and then wait till you become one of these sports parents. Okay. And eventually you're going to find out nobody volunteers. So half the time I end up coaching and then you got to deal with the parents in your ear. Oh my God. It's not uh... going to get
1: easier. So my first year out of my first year out of high school, I actually helped volunteer. There was an NYS—that's the Nevada Youth Sports—a a football team out here it was an eight-man yes. uh, football team, and like apparently they so they had put up a, a, an ad on Craigslist. Like it was a it was a franchise that was mired in mediocrity. Like okay. They put this team together for a while, but they had won like one game over the last two seasons. It was via forfeit, like it was a nightmare. Nobody wanted to help out, um, and so you know me and my brother-in-law did it. We actually did a good job. We won the championship that year. It was a lot of fun. Um, uh, just, you know, like their kids, all you got to do is focus and pay attention and like yeah, they'll, they'll yeah. catch on, but you're right. Like it's incredible hearing, like just parents in your ear talking, like it's a real thing. Oh. Like these kids are getting paid for it. I think, oh uh,
0: yeah, they better get the ball. They better get playing time. Oh my gosh.
1: It's one of the, it's, one of the worst things we did was a kid that you, his father fancied him a superstar and you could, you could clearly tell like the kid was playing football because the dad wanted them to, as opposed sure. to the the son wanting to. So we were practicing, you know, practicing tackling drills and, you know, we put them up there and this kid just gets speared, like just destroyed. <laughs> absolutely wrecked. You know, like We didn't do it on purpose. You know what I mean? But like right. we, never, we never saw the kid again after that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, man, it's it's no joke. Seriously. You know, it's a shame, though. You feel bad for the kids. Yes. I just, you know, I just worry about the kids and the, the parents. And me. Most of them are great, by the way. I don't want to make it seem like 50 percent of the parents are terrible, but you always get a couple knuckleheads sprinkled in. Believe that
1: yep all right so with that we move on um speaking of knuckleheads draymond green i don't know how to make the segue so let's talk about that because we saw that yesterday uh the golden state warriors falling in game two to the memphis grizzlies 106 101 so this has been i think it's been a fun series it's been an interesting one uh you know i i tweeted this out yesterday when you have steph and clay playing the way that they are and i I think too i want to get your thoughts on this so clay was kind of he wasn't getting dragged yesterday but clay did not have a good game yesterday clay thompson Uh, poor shot selection very inaccurate I was also less than impressed with Steph Curry in that game I thought there were multiple times defensively there was a key three-point shot that he gave up where he didn't communicate with Draymond Green that he was switching yeah. off and going to Dray uh, to going into John Morant Draymond actually kind of laid into him like what are you doing multiple possessions where he's kind of leaving his dude on defense to go do something else poor shot selection for him too but I think it's a positive that you look at that and you go Steph Curry, Klay Thompson had two really poor games. And yet we got home court back. We have a one, one split heading back home. What, what do you, what have you made of golden state through these first two games?
0: Yeah, it's fair. In other words, they haven't played that are ceiling and here they are in a good spot. Nonetheless. And you got to wonder now, if Dylan Brooks is going to be out yep. game three. I don't know what Dylan Brooks was doing. I don't usually even play player props, but it's pretty funny. JVT decided to get involved. Ah, you know what? I'm going to go over Dylan Brooks. Oh boy! <laughs> two minutes in, he's out the game. You know what? Let me stick with the sides. Um, no, look, I'm with you. Bottom line is I thought Memphis competed. Obviously, they covered both games. They needed a little fortune game one. I was close to taking on both games. Of course, I didn't. But bottom line is now they go back to Golden State. You got to feel comfortable with the Warriors. I didn't buy what the odds makers were trying to sell us coming into the game that the most likely result would be sweep. That felt yeah, like it was a weird. Bit. But at the same time, to your point, man, we haven't even got Golden State bringing their A game yet. You know, it's funny how the pendulum has swung a little bit. Coming in, I think a lot of us were on Phoenix. Now, Devin Booker's injury, maybe they weren't as dominant as some people would like. It seems like people are kind of leading Golden State. And I get it, but they've got to defend. And you made a point about Steph Curry. Defensively, he's always been a liability. You know this, the smart coaches are going to hunt him in switches. Now, sometimes teams get a little too carried away with that, right? And they they start hunting so thoroughly that it ends up hurting them a little bit. They force it. But Steph's always going to be a problem on that end. He makes up for it for the most part on the other end. Clay Thompson, I think, is an interesting situation. Boy, he got lucky and then he missed those two free throws the yep. game prior, although he did hit the big three, 36 seconds left. He hasn't been the same guy. Like, you know, you're not going to get that game six against Kevin Durant and the Oklahoma City Thunder type of performance from Clay anymore. The question is, can he still play at a? I'd ask you, and some Golden State fans won't even like asking this. Well, oh, he's clearly top 25. Is Clay Thompson considered to be a top 50 player right now? I think it's
1: interesting. Yeah, right now, I would say no. When he was at his peak, I think it's very clear that he was a top 25 guy. But, like, yeah, right now. And even, too, like, there's multiple times where, like, there was a possession late in that game where defensively, obviously, he's not the same guy, right? Where yeah. John Morant gets to the top of the key, and he kind of hits him with a jab step real quick, and he got him going back. And you know what I mean? And, like, Jaw's not going to hit step-back threes a lot, but he did drain yeah. one, and he was getting yeah. him going back. And to your point, too, about Steph and Jordan Poole is in this mix as well, like, the efforts there at times – but the game plan for Memphis down the stretch in crunch time was John Morant, top of the key, get Steph Curry on him, and let him go to work. And yeah. they won the game because of it.
0: Yeah, no question. Now, I will say this, though. Sometimes John gets a little too happy to shoot the ball down the stretch. Even yeah. the prior game. Now, I'm there picking. But he made two fantastic plays. Next time down, I said aloud because we had some people over for a party, birthday party. Okay. I said, he's going to force this. He did. Next time down, forced it. The next possession is when Finch called timeout, got on the ball on the run, went to that left handed hook layup, whatever you want to call it. It actually worked in game five against Minnesota. It didn't work that time down. But you saw the good, the bad, and the ugly from Ja. He can force it sometimes. But am I going to kill Finch for going John Morant versus Steph Curry? No. You have to. And so I'd imagine they're going to do a little bit more of that as we move forward. So, look, it's going to be a good series, but I think we're both probably in the same wavelength here. I think Golden State gets both and probably sends it back to Memphis three games to one. Now, as far as the numbers concerned right now, I'm not seeing much value. So a little on Memphis games one and two. I didn't play it stupidly in this one maybe lean slightly Memphis, but not even a, not even close to what it was before. So I'd probably stay away from the number.
1: Yeah, Warriors, six-and-a-half point favor right yeah. now, total 226-and-a-half. And, and this yeah. actually kind of leads me into something we were texting about earlier, uh, which is home court and how this has been factoring into the postseason up to this point. So yeah. it, it's pretty clear right now that odds makers are, are using three points. I mean, you look at a number like this, you know, Warriors close about a one-and-a-half point favorite. They don't cover, obviously, in game two. You make a slight adjustment, then you get the six point swing back home. It puts you at Golden State minus six and a half. Um, now, the way that I have been factoring in home court, uh, for those who don't know, is essentially just taking the median result to, or the median uh, result of all of the games. So, in the regular season, it's every single game. I got a spreadsheet on Excel. I just type it into a column, and you know, I get a, another cell that has uh, the median number for me yeah. that gives me home court. Um, so far in the postseason, it's been solidly won. It just a flat one. And if you look at, and I crunched the numbers the other day on the show on v going into yesterday's games, home teams, while they were up 26-21 uh, straight up, they were 21-26 against the spread, and also failing to cover by about 1.7 points per game. That puts you right around that, hey, that three-point yep. mark that we're talking about. So – It seems at this point, Tom, that home court is is not as strong as it once was. It's a small sample size in the postseason. So we'll see if as these games go along, it gets a little bit stronger. But I always thought that home court was a little bit stronger in the the postseason. That hasn't been the case.
0: Historically, it certainly is. Yeah, it's interesting because I was using the cleaning the glass net rating. And if you go by pace, now I go by per game because Mm -hmm. not every game is the same in terms of the pace. But generally, it's at three. If, in fact, if you break it down, they have it at three, two per 100 possessions. So per pace, which is, uh, I think, I don't have it right here. I think it's like 95, 95 and a half possessions per game in the playoffs. It would put it at about 3.05 if my, if my math is right. So you know, I, I, I reached out to you because I heard you on Visa and you said you had it at one. I figured you did it that way. I was wondering if there are other, you know, numbers I'm missing or would it be the first time. So it is interesting. Your number has actually been more profitable. Now, if you go by the net rating, including the glass, we both like it because it scrapes away mm-hmm. the garbage time. They had the regular season at 187, I believe, which is right. And yours was probably around 155, somewhere in that range. I think they'll probably come pretty close. But right now, your number is probably a little bit more accurate. I've been handicapping with the three, like Vegas. So you're probably finding more value than I am. I haven't been on a game the last two nights. I do have a couple coming up. I like Philly tonight. I like Boston tomorrow or Saturday, excuse me. Uh, But yeah, right now, it looks like your number's the better one to use. The happy median might be the nice place to go here.
1: Yeah, and so right now, I think uh, after yesterday, I've got uh, road teams is 26 and 23 against the spread. So it's starting to even out a little bit. Yeah. So uh, we will see if that ultimately holds up. So we go from there, and you kind of alluded to it too. This I get it's the NBA postseason, but it always hits me when we get here. We're not going to see these two teams again until Saturday. That's whack. Ugh,
0: so <laughs> ridiculous. God, it's, uh, it makes no sense to be off that long. It's Wednesday. Yeah, they're going to have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off, it's stupid. And if you look historically, you know, it's not hard to find these sort of things. NBA stuffer has it. Historical data, the best time to have off, two days. yeah, Worth 1.4 points, okay? If you have more than that, it's down to 0. 0.2 because now rust, in theory, enters the equation. I don't know why they can't work it out. Maybe the arena is already busy with hockey or concerts or what have you. But it seems hard to believe it's that long from each other.
1: Uh, Warriors, for what it's worth, this season, uh, eight and one straight up, six and three against the spread on three plus days of rest. And the Oops. Memphis Grizzlies one and three, straight up one, two, and one against the spread on three plus days of rest. So it's via Stat Fox right now. All right, let's go from here to um all right. I think my guilty pleasure in this round of the postseason is Philadelphia and Miami. Um, I, I'm really for some reason I'm really interested and I want to put myself through this again today. Uh but I get your thoughts on, on what we've seen so far. So my thought process coming into the series, especially the first two games, was I, I wanted to bet on Philly. I do think that. When you look at the way Miami plays defensively, giving up those three-point attempts, last in both frequency and open shots allowed from beyond the arc, the fact that uh, Doc Rivers can, if he wants to, play small with Yang at the five and and spread them out in a la like the Houston Rockets, right, that last full year with James Harden where it was like Russell Westbrook and Robert Covington and they were just chucking threes the entire time, you can do that against Miami, I think, and have some success, problem is doc rivers for some reason really likes deandre jordan and we'll start him and they're abhorrent in those minutes uh where are you at with this series do you think i'm on the right path with thinking that philly is the tempting side are you like you're a clown this is a one-sided matchup
0: i'm on philly eight and a half, no big so i'm with you there i wasn't on him first game thank goodness but listen if you look at the quality shots they were getting good looks the three point percent was horrific like for example george niang being 0 for 7 so they're gonna have some positive regression back to the Tom. Media. Real quick,
1: they, they went they went 0 10 on three point attempts off of passes from James Harden in that game. Like, that's yeah. he, in. We can criticize Harden all we want. He's still a good passer, and generally, those are going to be high yeah. quality looks.
0: He's one of the better facilitators in the league. Now scoring, it's weird. I didn't think we'd get to this point. Like, I don't trust him to score that much anymore. Strange, but he's an excellent facilitator. To your point, they're going to be positive aggression to me, there's no question about it. The NB loss, I mean, it's enormous. You can't understate it. But at the same time, Kyle Lowry, uh, the native son of Philly, wants to play in this series the worst way. Not being able to play is a bad sign for Miami. And so that makes up some of the difference the natural human intuition up one, nothing, as opposed to down one, nothing a little bit more desperation for Philly, but more importantly, the fact that they got good enough looks to make it believe that eight and a half is good value. I don't think they're going to win the game and you can still find some eight and a half standard big buck 10. You can still find some eight and a half's out there. I'm with you. I I think, look, Miami's the better team right now. with do We understand that, but we're playing a number here. You've got to take eight and a half. You can't lay eight and a half with Miami tonight. I don't think.
1: Yeah, so there's two things. One, to the Miami point, um, let's see, I had this down in front of me. Uh, Oh, Offensive rating in the half court for Miami in that game was absolutely atrocious. I think it was like 80, actually, I think it was, yeah, 87.2. Uh, And that's kind of been their their bugaboo, right? Especially with Lowry not out there. Their half-court offense really bogged down. And to your point about Philly and the shot quality, uh, excuse me, effective field goal percentage in that game for Philadelphia, 44.4%. But if you look at the the location expected field goal percentage, uh, which, you know, gives you essentially shot quality like you're talking about and league average, they should have had about a 55% according to cleaning the glass. So shots are there, man. The shots are there. Also, too, uh, it leads me to kind of – I'm not a big totals better. Uh, but that kind of yeah. led me to looking at this game over the total as well, uh, just yeah. given the fact that both teams actually shot below their quality at this point And you're going to get more three-point attempts from Philly. I thought this was a pretty low total of 206.5, and, and it got up to 207 right now.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. You'd have to go over because, you know, here I am talking about positive regression to the beam for Philly. You hit on a pretty decent point. And there were a lot of shots Miami yeah. got that were open looks that didn't fall either. So that would that would play into the over the total. You know the pace is not going to be up and down the floor. It's not going to be Golden State, Memphis. But you're right. Just because there were so many missed shots, it was ugly offense for much of that game. I thought the offensive rebounding Miami was big time too. Give them credit there. No surprise, no MB. They can't rebound. But to your point, yeah, if you're going to play the total, you got to go over. I-, I think tonight, if you're playing this game, it's Philly or nothing. Yep. Over or nothing.
1: Yep. And the last feather in the cap for Philadelphia would be, well, both shot below their expected field goal percentage in that game. Uh, it was about 11 percent gap between the expected and the actual for Philadelphia, as opposed to about like a six or seven gap uh, for yeah, Miami.
0: Yeah. So and that's the, that's the sort of stuff that's predictive. I love that stuff. Yeah, had a locative yeah. effective field goal percentage on um, cleaning the glass. Now, that is under the paywall, but still, it's like five dollars a month. And then there's also a site I don't even know about. I guess I'll throw them some love. Why not? Shockquality.com. I don't know if you're even aware of them. I just found out about it, which is similar. It doesn't match up perfectly with the located field goal percentage, but it's it's in the same ballpark, which I found interesting of late. So give that a look. I think they had it like Philadelphia should have made nine more threes than they did, so 27-point difference.
1: Yeah, I think they're – think yeah, this is the same group that does a lot with college. Uh, they got they got some good stuff with yeah, college. Yeah. Yeah, right. I and wasn't it aware
0: was... of them. I had no idea. And somebody brought it to my attention recently. I just started looking at them. So I haven't used their data really yet because I got to trust them first. But I just found that it made me think of the stat I just saw before I came on they should have had nine more threes than they did. So it matches up pretty well with the clean the glass numbers.
1: That's pretty good. Yeah. I thought they just did college stuff. So I'm definitely going to, I'm going to bookmark this right now. All right, cool. Uh, All right. All right. From there, uh, we talked about a couple of these. Let's go to one of the series that I actually, I really liked game one and I'm really excited for the series, even if it's only going to be five or six, which I don't think is going to be the case uh, Dallas and Phoenix. So one of the things that I had spoken about in this series, what I found pretty interesting was from the Phoenix perspective Taking on Dallas defensively, Dallas defensively, as we know, has been one of the best defensive teams, you know, this year, and especially since the start of 2022. But what's interesting about what they do, Tom, is, as you well know, it's like a lot of these other analytically sound teams. It's cut off the rim, cut off the three-point line. We will allow you to take mid-range jumpers. Problem is, you have two really good mid-range scorers for Phoenix, yeah. and that was the case. They were 11-20 on long mid-range shots in that game against Dallas. They shot about 48% on all their mid-range attempts. It was incredible offensive performance for Phoenix. And that really, like, I was on Dallas in that game and you know, didn't when he hits a shot, whatever, I cover the number. But the way that Phoenix exploited what you kind of saw coming left the bad taste in my mouth for Dallas i'm with
0: you I, I look i'd be shocked if phoenix doesn't win this year. i'm not aboard the value on dallas stuff and against the number i think it's pretty good i'm looking at the player-based number i modeled here has it at six so that's right on the number I, I doubt i'll play the game i would love to have a side look phoenix is really good you mentioned the idea they have two tremendous mid-range don't forget about McCall bridges here's a guy who's excellent three and day. think how bad that trade was for the 76ers a couple of years ago you know, the guy they got from Texas Tech, Devontae Smith, not even in the league. Now, they did get a first-round pick out of it, so let's throw that in there. But, I mean, if Macau Bridges were on Philly, think about how good they might look. Here's a kid who's just very undervalued. DeAndre Ayton's playing well right now, too. I still don't know if I'd give him a max. That'll be interesting to keep an eye on that. But DeAndre Ayton's playing well. They got a great staff. Phoenix and Golden State's going to happen. Now, Dallas is going to be a problem. I love Luca. You hit on a number of points, though. Stylistically, I, I don't see them winning this. Um trying to see if there's any other nuggets I could throw in there. Now, I mean, I'm looking for value one side or the other total, yeah. not really. This is probably a no play for me just sit back and watch to be frank with you.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to that's how I'm going to handle it going forward. So, I've got I've got Dallas at 14 to 1 to win the West, but I've also got Phoenix at 7 to 1 to win the NBA Finals. So, hmm. it's one of those series where either result would be fine with me. So I think, especially since I took one on the chin with the first game, I might just sit back and, and watch the rest of it play out because, yeah, yeah. It really, um, w- when you have those weaknesses out there and then the f- the team comes in and is like, yeah, yeah we're going to exploit every single one of those. And it actually happens. A little bit of a bothersome thing there. Also, too, the other side of it is, uh, Dontage is incredible. 45 points is awesome, but you need more out of Brunson and Dinwiddie and others. And they actually, I think they generated like 28 wide open threes and they shot the ball pretty well, but... Other than that, I just – I find it hard, a defense like that that's going to switch everything, and they got a real, they got two really good wing defenders. It's just it, – yeah, it, it just – it was not a good performance from, from Dallas despite only losing by seven.
0: No, nah, it wasn't. And by the way, real quick, because we were complaining about the kids, i got to pick up my girl in five minutes. Yeah. Boston-Milwaukee, Giannis is great, the best player in the world, JVT, but can we give Jason Tatum some love? Now, I think Boston's going to cover that three. Okay, I love Boston in the three. To your point, home court, court of the year numbers, one, mine, mm-hmm. three, but meet in the middle, let's say two. Either way, even if you want to use one, three, there's there's a lot of value on Boston. Can we give Jason Tatum some love? Here I was a year ago saying, I love Tatum, will never be an MVP candidate. Yes, he is. I said going into that Brooklyn series, he had already entered that space with Kevin Durant. We may have seen a passing of the torch in terms of wings in the East, Durant to Tatum. Dude, it's absolutely phenomenal. Marcus Smart's injury concerns me a little bit. He's kind of a, a wanky matchup in this series yeah. anyway. I know Milwaukee took game one, and that swung the pendulum in a lot of fans' minds. Not me. I'd still be shocked if Boston doesn't win this series. That's one I love taking a the three there. I'm surprised it's three. It usually goes with my numbers, so I, I think it's going to be closer to two, maybe even one by game time, but who knows? seems like the public is all of a sudden on Milwaukee after that pounding they gave Boston in game one.
1: Yeah, really quickly, too, and, and to your point about the series, Kevin Pelton had this stat the other day. I don't know if you saw it. Um, team, teams in the postseason, the last 10 years, uh, the teams that win game one on the road by double digits are actually 2-10 and 10 in the series over the last yeah. 10 years. And <laughs> the most recent example is actually Minnesota. Minnesota won game one against Memphis. Okay. They won it by 13, and then they ended up losing the series. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting stat.
0: Yeah, it is. It's, it's, listen, it's another reminder. You don't want to overreact. Sure, every game is huge in the best of seven. But just because one team might beat up the other in Game One doesn't mean yeah. you overreact to keep rotting them the rest of the way. I don't think you go to the zigzag either. I know a lot of right. guys do that. I'd prefer that though than just taking the results of Game One and betting accordingly the rest of the way. It makes no sense, but you'd be shocked how many people do that.
1: Yeah, I took. Uh, I was in. I was on Milwaukee the first two games, but that was more the home court thing we were talking about, and the number being maybe a little yeah. high as opposed to <laughs> uh, just thinking the Milwaukee's gonna ride this out. I hope you're right though. I got the. I got a really good futures ticket on Boston. I got them at sixty-six to one to win the finals. Uh- so um, I am uh, I am a very big Boston fan. And I think yeah. – I'll get your thoughts on this before we get you out of here because I know you got to go. Uh, I said this the other day. I think they rip apart Miami if it's an Eastern Conference Finals. I, I think they match up extremely well with the Heat, the Boston Celtics.
0: I do too. Yeah. Uh, I would say it's five games before seven. Yes. I'm like, that defense is so good, it's ridiculous. Like Miami aspires to be Boston. They think they're Boston defensively, right? Boston is actually a team. Robert Williams defensively. Think about it. The defensive player of the year didn't play last night. The defense was better. Yep. That was all I need to know.
1: All right, man. Uh, I appreciate it. And I know you're busy. So thank you very much. And, uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. WT anytime. This is the hardwood handicappers podcast. Sorry right, a big thanks to Tom Byrne for joining us here today on the episode. I wanted to add a little bit, uh, before we, uh, get out of here, cut a little short on the conversation around the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee bucks. Don't want to by any stretch. Um, Dismiss the chances of the Milwaukee Bucks in this series against the Boston Celtics, especially because, um, Milwaukee does have home court here after that loss the other day, the other day, my dude, my days all melt together, uh, yesterday, today is Wednesday, um, and really, when you look at what happened yesterday, too, there are some positive signs, again, coming out of a loss like that against the Boston Celtics. I mean, when you make 17 more three-point attempts than your opponent, you're in a pretty good position, and that's exactly what the Boston Celtics did against Milwaukee. And still, in the fourth quarter, multiple times, the Bucks able to cut it to a 12-point deficit and looked like potentially they were going to uh, maybe get back in. it give you a little bit of hope if you had some numbers on it like I did. Ultimately not the case, though, and Milwaukee still, too, with another big positive was that for a second consecutive game, had a really pretty a pretty good performance within four feet of the basket, uh, took 43% of their attempts there, went 22 of 28, drew five shooting fouls, so that's a 78.6% shooting percentage within four feet of the basket against Boston. Um, so uh, there's, again, positives to build on here as we kind of move forward uh, with Milwaukee. Adjusted series price there too. We're gonna to run through all these Celtics now. Dollar twenty favor to win the series, minus one twenty five, minus one thirty, depending on where you look. Um, but what I think is interesting is we move forward, and as Tom said, he was looking at Boston in that game, catching three against Milwaukee. We're starting to get off of that three, and two and a halfs are starting to appear. Um, you know, I'm I I am fascinated by how the market has been handling this home court thing, and, and the sample size is growing, so we're starting to get this a little bit tighter. But I wanted to kind of walk through the process of what I was talking about with the home court stuff because, you know, it's, it's, it's I, I think it's, it is factored into this start of the postseason. So through the early portion of this season, uh, twenty six and twenty three against the spread, that would be the road teams in the postseason up to this point. Um, the basis of all of this now is just looking at how you value home court. Now, by my numbers, as I talked about with Tom there. By my numbers, home court has been worth about one point in the postseason. Uh, in the regular season, it was just over a one and a half points at about 1.52, 1.53 points, um, depending on how you crunch your numbers. And how I do it, as I explained with Tom, is you find the median of the results that have occurred up to this point. Uh, from there, you get a median result, and that is your home court uh, number. So it's been only worth one through a very short sample size. Because again, if we're talking about, I think right now we're at 49 postseason games, um, that's that's not really a sample size that's that's worth writing home about. But what makes it interesting is that the results have been geared toward the fact that maybe the market is overvaluing home court. So mentioned road teams twenty nine me, twenty six and twenty-three against the spread. So a winning record, uh, ATS. Now, when you're talking about percentage wise and what that means, uh you're not you're just breaking even uh, with that, right? Right, you're at fifty three point one percent when you're talking about betting these road teams. So this has kind of come back uh, in terms of being even. And home teams at this point right now, after the results of yesterday, have failed to cover games by about 1.15 points per game. So it still gets you to the point where maybe the market is overvaluing home court, but maybe not as much as I originally believed it to be and as it originally was at the beginning of the postseason, where home teams uh, seem to not be covering at a very high clip. Again, they were 26-21 and 21 the other day against the spread, uh, and that was before... Of course, a, a really good stretch, two days for the home team. So this is continuing to grow and evolve. I just think it's something worth noting here. The market is definitely using three as home court advantage. As Tom noted, if you look at the net rating of home teams in the postseason, it's just about three if you factor in possessions, or excuse me, pace as well. So as this plays out, as the sample size grows, is going to be pretty intriguing. But two consecutive days where home teams had a really good day, and it brings us back to this game between Boston and Milwaukee. So if the market is accurate in rating home court to be worth three points and Boston is on the road catching three, that would mean that the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics are the same team from a power rating perspective on a neutral. Do not believe that to be the case. I do rate Boston as the better team. I do rate them, obviously, as the better team because Chris Middleton's not going to play on top of that, but I think full strength, I rate them as a better team as well, just barely, but still the better team. So thus leading to the thought process that is There is some value there on Boston catching three points on the road against Milwaukee. And I would agree with that sentiment that when you get to Saturday here from a number standpoint, we've kind of gotten to the point where if we're getting tighter, if we're getting closer to the home court being worth three, and if this is really what we're going to do here, and that three is telling you that, hey, Milwaukee and Boston are the same team, I hardly think that's accurate. So, we will see if how this plays out over the larger sample size, but uh, I tend to start, as I, as I looked at the last couple of days and as home teams start to make up this gap from a spread standpoint, start to win a few more games, um, history tells us that in the postseason, home court is worth more than in the regular season, and the last two days have shown us that the home teams are starting to deliver just a little bit more. I also want to say, too, I, I really hope that some of you guys uh, and gals who have been listening to the podcast have been following along, because uh, if you have been we're in a really good position from a future standpoint right now. Uh, the Boston Celtics at sixty-six to one to win the NBA Finals in pocket. The Miami Heat at fourteen to one to win the NBA Finals in pocket. That very much looks like it could be our Eastern Conference Finals, which that would be a that would be a brilliant thing to happen if that's the case. Um, and as I mentioned with Tom, I, I very much favor the Boston Celtics in that series. Uh, and then on the flip side, in the Western Conference. Nothing on Golden State or Memphis, uh, but we are guaranteed to have either a 14-1 to ticket to win the Western Conference on the Dallas Mavericks in the Western Conference Finals or that 7-1 to ticket on the Phoenix Suns to win the NBA Finals in the Western Conference Finals. So obviously two positions there, which are very manageable as well. So in a very good position from a future standpoint to cash in on something here, get a little money out of some of those numbers. But I uh, wanted to kind of clean up that home court conversation, wanted to touch a little bit on Milwaukee and Boston. And, it's, it's a really good series, and I'm really intrigued by by how that is going to play out because at the end of the day, Milwaukee does have the best player on the floor, Giannis Antetokounmpo, but as Tom said, I mean, the gap is shrinking uh, between him and Jason Tatum. I still think he is, Giannis, the better team, or the better guy, clearly. Uh, but as we move forward in his career, Jason Tatum is going to be a player worth respecting in a very, very big way. I think I said worth because I was going to say very, so those things bled together. All right, with that, a midweek episode, uh, I am efforting one Daniel Alvari to potentially come on on Friday. We can talk a little LA hoops, but also WNBA uh, postseason and also started the work on the, I said WNBA postseason in a regular season preview, Um, and also started work on the NBA draft, which we'll start to incorporate in the episodes coming up in a couple of days because that work is definitely worth it. And I don't know if Vegas books are going to be hanging much, uh, but I definitely think it's worth the conversation as we start to look at the NBA draft where some of these players are going. And um keeping track of workouts and whatnot as they start to ratchet up here over the next few weeks. With that, we're all done. Appreciate it as always, and we will check in later.